Today's sermon passage comes from Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17 to 19. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the field, sorry, from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Amen, church. Well, the weather kind of threw us off a little bit. Um, they said it was going to be 80% raining throughout our time, and now it's just cloudy. And uh, I felt maybe a couple of drops of water. But um, So here we are. We're here virtual. Um, we're kind of at the mercy of weather and trying to figure this stuff out. This stuff out. So just thank you for just always uh, grinding it out with us. Um, so we're on our second to last sermon series um, in the Cultivate series. And this morning, we're going to be talking about cultivating joy. You know, joy is one of those things in life that seems so elusive. Everybody is seeking joy and happiness, but the reality is that it's not easy to find, right? Because we live in a broken world. We all face struggles and difficulties in life. And so in order to understand joy, we need to be real first about our suffering. And so the question we asked this morning is, how are we to find joy, specifically joy in God, in the midst of all of the difficulties and sufferings of life? So we have three points this morning, and the points today are the reality of suffering, hope in the midst of suffering, and joy in God. Our first point is the reality of suffering. <clears throat> So to give a little context for our sermon passage, Habakkuk, he is a prophet of God in the Old Testament. And a prophet is a person that has been appointed by God to speak to the people on behalf of God. But here in the short book of the Bible, we are listening in on a conversation between God and the prophet Habakkuk. During this time, God's people, they were um, in Judah, they, the people of Judah, they were in sin. They were morally corrupt, um, they were spiritually bankrupt. They no longer worshipped and trusted and loved and obeyed God. Habakkuk himself is um, a part of this nation and people, and he sees their fallenness and their sins. And then he questions God. He says, why, God, if you are a righteous God, do you let all of this sin go unpunished? And then God replies. He says, oh, judgment is coming. It's coming for Judah through another nation, the Babylonians. And then Habakkuk says, whoa, well, why would you send an even more evil and corrupt nation to judge Judah? And God says, it's not about who's more sinful, right? All are sinful, all have strayed from God, and all are deserving of his judgment. You see, because of the sins of Judah, judgment comes for them, and it comes in the form of suffering and pain. This, this is why Habakkuk says, he says this about the nation of Judah in verse 17. 
Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Back then, the people of the, in the ancient times, they were an agrarian people. They lived off the land. And so their well-being and prosperity was tied directly to the land. And Habakkuk here, he is acknowledging that in this verse, suffering and ruin is coming to this land because of their sin. This recurring story of sin and suffering, it's all throughout the Bible. Because of the sins of Adam and Eve in the garden back in Genesis, all of humanity and creation has been thrown into this seemingly unending cycle of sin and suffering. And so now hardship, struggle, turmoil, pain, and suffering is a major backdrop of our lives and in this world. Tim Keller, in his book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, he says this, No matter what precautions we take, no matter how well we have put together a good life, no matter how hard we have worked to be healthy, wealthy, comfortable with friends and family, and successful with our career, something will inevitably ruin it. No amount of money, power, and planning can prevent bereavement, dire illness, relationship betrayal, financial disaster, or a host of other troubles from entering your life. Human life is fatally fragile and subject to the forces beyond our power to manage. Life is tragic. Risen suffering is real. We all experience it. The world experiences it. And it's real because sin is real. Right? Suffering was not the original design for God's creation. Right? It, this wasn't supposed to be like this, but it came because of sin. But to be clear, this doesn't mean that all of our suffering is tied to something we did personally. Right? So we don't need to worry about every single action we do trying to figure out if that is why we're suffering. Right? Sometimes we get sick or we lose loved ones simply because of the general fallenness and brokenness of this sinful world. None of us can escape this suffering. So how should we approach suffering then? Well, in our modern, non-religious, Western worldview, suffering in general is an interruption to the joy and happiness that we pursue. This worldview finds no real meaning in suffering because it doesn't believe in the reality of sin and God. And so when suffering comes, it's devastating right? because there's no resolve besides blaming other people for it or numbing the suffering with medication, substances, or other forms of escape. But for Christianity, suffering is interwoven in the history and world of humanity. The Bible says pain and suffering is a part of our story because of our sin. But the Christian story doesn't end there. The Bible shows us that there is something, there is meaning to all of the suffering we face. And the amazing part of Christianity is that there is salvation and hope and joy in all of our suffering. This brings us to our second point, hope in the midst of suffering. <clears throat> so while the story of sin and suffering is all throughout the Bible, Christianity and the gospel story is also all about salvation, restoration, renewal of humanity and creation. One day we will live in a perfect, joyful, heavenly kingdom where there is no sin, pain, suffering, or turmoil. But while we are here in the now, 
The Bible doesn't try to diminish or sidestep suffering at all, but it uses it to lead us into a deeper resolve and hope. And hope is essential to finding joy in God. As our hope grows, so does our joy. So in the second point, I want us to look at three aspects of this hope that we have right now. So I have three subpoints for you. Our first subpoint, a hope in the future. <clears throat> Tim Keller, he says, while other worldviews lead us to sit in the midst of life's joys, foreseeing the coming sorrows, Christianity empowers its people to sit in the midst of this world's sorrows, tasting the coming joy. Christianity says, yes, this world is full of pain and suffering, but hold on. There's something amazing and beautiful just up ahead. There's a future glory that we are looking towards. And this should give us such a great hope to push forward. Let me try to give you an example of how this might work. So Lauren and I, we have a few kids. And the pregnancy and birthing process seems quite painful. I was merely a spectator witnessing all of this, so I don't claim to know at all how, uh, how much pain and suffering Lauren went through. All I really know is that it looks very uncomfortable, stressful, and both physically and emotionally painful, to put it lightly. Even for the parents that foster and adopt, the process and the emotions that you guys go through is undoubtedly difficult, and yet parents and guardians go through it. They sit through the pain because they know there's something greater ahead. A birth, a baby being born, or adopted into your family is so amazing and beautiful. The suffering it takes to get to that point does not even compare to the joys of bringing life into your family. You see, if you long for something up ahead so much that you'll do whatever it takes to get there, you'll endure almost any amount of suffering. This idea is what Paul says in Romans 8.18. In the middle of his own suffering, he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And this glory to be revealed is heaven in the presence of God. Risen, this is the truth that we must understand. The entirety of our lives as the people of God it's all about finding hope and joy in God, looking forward to the future. It doesn't matter what we are going through, the suffering we are going through right now, whatever it is. All of life's pain and suffering is terrible. It's not something we should celebrate or wish for, but suffering, if understood correctly, produces such a deep and fervent hope in us as we await the fullness of God's glory, being in his presence in this restored and renewed creation. And the amazing thing is, is that this process has already begun in us. Renewal has already begun in our hearts and in our souls. This should bring us so much hope and joy. Second subpoint: hope for spiritual transformation. <clears throat> Romans 5, 3-5 says this, And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Listen to this. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, 
and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Paul is saying that we rejoice in the hope of God, but also we rejoice in our sufferings because it shapes and transforms our godly character, which then leads to even more hope in God. Let me try to give an example of this. I love climbing, and one of the injuries that I've had a couple of times is a sprained or ruptured A2 polytendon right here on the ring finger. And um, when it happened, I heard it pop, and there was so much pain, I couldn't put weight on it at all. And it's, it happens because of all the pressure of squeezing and pulling and bad form. And that injury takes up to two months to heal. In the meantime, you have to tape it, splint it, immobilize it, make sure you don't put weight on it for those weeks that it's healing. And I hated not being able to climb during this time when I was climbing almost every day. Right? It would have been easy for me to sulk and just play video games all day and eat Taco Bell every day. But this injury instead, it led me to look up ways on how to speed up recovery, exercises, supplemental exercises while healing. I love climbing so much that it didn't, I wanted to grow as a climber in any way possible and I didn't want to waste any of this time I had while I was waiting. So I put in the work of learning. I watched climbing videos for inspiration. I studied, I dreamed about climbing. All I could think about was climbing. My injuries always frustrated me that I couldn't climb in those moments, but it always led me to learn more and develop a greater love for climbing. Similarly, our spiritual growth and transformation comes in our suffering when it wakes us up to look ahead, to long for a future kingdom. Suffering is a way that teaches us to learn more about our faith, about God, and if we allow it to, it can deepen our love and trust in God. Our spiritual growth is not a passive one, but it is an active engagement of learning, engaging, serving others. And so we grow as we study, as we learn to hear from God through his word, as we pray to God, as we become a part of a church community to bless others and be blessed by others. Right? We grow in character as we learn to selflessly love and serve our church, our family, our neighbors, our cities. And so we long for a future of a perfected kingdom. But while we are waiting, we put in the work, empowered by God, to grow in endurance, character, and hope, as Romans 5 says. Our third subpoint: hope in God's presence. So not only do we have a hope in this future perfected kingdom, we are personally brought into this kingdom even now. Remember, the process of renewal and restoration has already begun. Not only does God promise to make all things right in the future, right, he promises that he is working even now that he is for you even now throughout all of your suffering. It's not just a general and impersonal, hey, don't worry, all things will be great in the future, just hang tight, you'll be good. Right? It's more than that. 
It's a personal and intimate God that is present with you, growing your character, comforting you throughout all of the suffering. Tim Keller says, Suffering is unbearable if you aren't certain that God is for you and with you. But listen, listen, God is for you. He is with you. This is why Habakkuk can say in verse 19, God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the dares. He makes me tread on my high places. Habakkuk, he's using this example of the dare that carefully scales this treacherous mountainside where it's very rocky and his footing isn't sure, but the dare knows, right? His footing is sure. And Habakkuk is saying that God makes his footing sure as he travels through this life of suffering. God keeps him safe. It is God that is his strength. God is not a distant God, but he is personal and intimate and he walks with us even now through all of our suffering. Imagine that you are hospitalized with a severe sickness, but you're told by the doctors and nurses that the prognosis is that you will be 100% be fully healthy again. You'll be back to your normal self but in order to get there, it's going to take a lot of treatment, rehabilitation, physical therapy, and the road to get there is going to be very long and difficult. You're going to need a lot of help and support and money. Now, what if they gave you that prognosis and then said, good luck, take care, you're on your own? Right? You would be devastated. You would feel helpless and hopeless. But what if the doctor and nurses said that they would personally see to it that you would get everything you need for a full recovery? They would help you financially. They would help give all the support you need and that they would personally walk with you through every single step of the way until you are 100% healthy. But you would be filled with a hope and a joy throughout all of the pain, wouldn't you? Risen, this is indeed our situation with God. So, so far we know that suffering is real. We know that God gives us a hope of a perfect future creation where there's no pain and suffering. God gives us a hope of a spiritual transformation even now. And God gives us a hope that he is walking with us in all of the suffering even now. This brings us to our last point. Joy in God. So how do we find the joy then? You know, the difficulty about joy, like we said, it can be seen as a feeling that can come and go, right? If we're feeling, if we're feeling joyful in the Lord, we're going to lean in, we're going to serve people, we're going to love the church. But if we're not feeling it, sometimes we stay away. So I want to briefly give you four practical ways to stay grounded, to cultivate a deep joy in God. Number one, Seek joy in God despite your feelings. Sometimes we don't feel like praising and worshiping God, right? Sometimes we don't feel like fighting for our faith and rejoicing in God because we feel spiritually dry and unmotivated. I can't tell you how many times I've heard this from so many people throughout years of ministry, and I get it. I feel exactly the same way a lot of times. Sometimes I don't feel like praising God. I wish that it came easy, but it doesn't. So you see, joy must be sought out. 
It's an active engagement on our part to seek God regardless of not feeling joyful. And in our pursuit of joy, we're going to catch glimpses of God and the joy that he brings. C.S. Lewis, he says this, If you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want to be wet, you must get into the water. If you want joy, power, peace, eternal life, you must get close to or even into the thing that has them. Reason, we must seek joy in God in order to find joy in God. If you're hungry and you're looking for food, you're going to find food. If you don't find food, you're going to be hungry. Number two, confess and repent of any personal hindrances to joy in the Lord. Sometimes there are reasons that we don't feel joy in God. Um, sometimes it's a physiological issue um, um, where it's a mental health issue. Or it could be an extremely dark and depressing season of your life where everything is going wrong, nothing seems to be going right, and all you can feel is lament. But there are a lot of other times that it is our own selfish issues that are hindering our joy. It could be our habitual, blatant, unrepentant sin of anger, greed, lust, or whatever. It could be our pride, apathy, our laziness. It could even be our busyness, failing to schedule intentional time to be alone with God in prayer and in his word. And so risen for these things, we must confess and repent. Number three, we pray earnestly for joy in the Lord. The feelings of joy, like we said, can come and go, right? We can't force this feeling of overwhelming joy in God, but what we can do is we show up and we pray earnestly to God that he would show up, that he would draw near to us and fill our hearts with an unshakable joy. The Christian life is spiritual. Everything we do here at Risen points to the spiritual nature of the kingdom. The Holy Spirit moves in us and through us. And so we pray that God would give all of us this joy as we seek him and understand of the salvation and the hope that he gives us through Jesus Christ. And so Risen, we must pray. Lastly, number four, we thank God for his salvation. The reality and objective biblical truth, whether we feel it or not, is that God has brought salvation to a suffering, joyless, sinful people. That's us. Even if we can't see him past the fog of our habitual sins, our patterns of sins, even if we can't see him past the fog of our joyless faith, God is fighting for us. And he fights for us so that we can eventually see him and rejoice in him. And so we thank God that even when we are joyless and spiritually dry, that he is working in us. And as our hearts of thanksgiving grows, so does our joy. Risen, we must thank God. Let me close with verse 17 to 18 of Habakkuk's prayer. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Listen to this. Yet 
I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Notice verse 18. Habakkuk says that he takes joy in God. He rejoices in the Lord. You see, risen God is the source of all of our joy and happiness. And he wants to bring us into this joy. He knows that we live in a world of sin and suffering and pain. And so this is why he gives us salvation, so that we would be able to experience him and the joy that he brings us. This is why Habakkuk calls him the God of my salvation. It is God that brings salvation to us. God has gone through great lengths to bring salvation to a suffering, joyless, and sinful people. And he does this at great cost by giving us his son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, who bore all the weight of our suffering and pain and sins, and he took it. Jesus took it to the cross. He died on our behalf so that we would have forgiveness of our sins and redemption for our souls. Jesus, who had an eternal joy in God the Father, he gave all of it up to come into a dark and suffering world to take our suffering, and he gives us his unshakable, everlasting joy. And it is through faith in Jesus that we receive the salvation and joy. And even now, we are growing in this joy as he empowers us to continually fight for this joy. The joy that we feel here in this world, whatever the greatest feelings of joy we have, is going to be magnified a thousand times over when we come into the presence of our Savior in this restored, renewed creation and perfected kingdom. Tim Keller says this, the most rapturous delights you have ever had in the beauty of a landscape or in the pleasure of food or in the fulfillment of a loving embrace are like dewdrops compared to the bottomless ocean of joy that it will be to see God face to face. That is what we are in for, nothing less. And according to the Bible, that glorious beauty and our enjoyment of it has been immeasurably enhanced by Christ's redemption of us from evil and death. Risen, our joy in God is tied directly to the salvation that he gives us through Jesus Christ. Our joy is tied directly to being in his presence. This is the story of the gospel. John Piper says, the gospel is not a way to get people to heaven. It is a way to get people to God. It's a way of overcoming every obstacle to everlasting joy in God. Friends, this hope we have of an eternal kingdom, being with God, our Heavenly Father, being with Jesus, our Savior, where there's no pain and suffering, it is yours. This is the reason Jesus died. Come to Jesus. Trust in him. Receive this unshakable, everlasting joy in Christ that transcends all suffering. Risen. Let's pray. Oh, our Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning in all our pain and sorrows, wherever we are at, we come to you for joy. We come to you to meet you, to catch a glimpse of you. We pray, Lord, that you would give us 
this unshakable, untouchable joy that even if we are sorrowful, we can rejoice knowing that we are yours, that all the suffering here in this world is temporary. It's but a pin drop in an ocean of joy. We pray, Father, that you would teach this to us. May this deepen our faith and trust and love in you. Fill our hearts with this joy and the zeal and this passion for you. We need you, Father. We need you to do this work in us. Remind us again of your love, your grace, your mercy for us through Jesus Christ. Thank you for all you do for us, Father. Be with our church here at Risen. Be with everybody here. We need you, Father. Thank you in Christ's name. Amen.